0: Welcome to the Nation's Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Joshua chapter 24. We happen upon this account where it's at the end of Joshua's leadership life in Joshua chapter 24. Reading from verse 13, God speaks to his people through the leader, Joshua. It says, I have given you a land for which you did not labor, And cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Verse 14, now therefore fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth, Joshua says to God's people. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Say, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served, served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh man, that's going to make your spirit rattle tonight. So the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Let's give God a big shout of praise for that incredibly stirring passage of Scripture. Tonight I want to speak to you very briefly on the thought, choose For yourselves this day, choose for yourselves this day. God is having a conversation here in Joshua chapter 24 with his people. Joshua is now pushing 110 years old. He is at the tail end of his leadership life. you got to understand that when we first see Joshua take on the leadership of the nation of Israel, the first initial chapters of the book of Joshua, he was a younger, youngish man. Mind you, he was just post 80 plus years old, but he was young in terms of leadership. He'd taken on from Moses. And if we see in Joshua 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, you know, that whole conversation that he has with God, where God says, be strong and be courageous. You're about to embark on a new era. His first significant big, quote, unquote, battle was taken down the walls of Jericho, yeah? Now it's 25 years later. He's at the tail end of his leadership life. He's about to pass from this world into the next, and out of all the things he could have chosen to say, he chooses to speak this sermon, this exhortation to God's people, because he began to see a shift in the children of Israel, after 25 years, things have started to change. There was now an entire generation of young adults who have had no idea what the 10 plagues were. An entire generation of young adults that don't know what the pillar of fire by night looks like, the cloud cover by day looks like, they've never tasted manna and quail, nor drunk water from the rock of Rephidim. All that they've known are what God has done, and now they're living in the benefits of what God has done in the past. They've actually been born into promise. All that they've known on their dining tables have been the milk and the honey that have come from Canaan. They have no grid for Egypt, no grid for the wilderness. What they have now is simply being Canaanite babies. And maybe their fathers and mothers in the generation before them may have fought in the early years under Joshua's leadership to conquer land. But now Joshua was discovering that these warriors, these initial nation of Israel that had come to to walk with them and to cross over and take territory had now changed from being warriors to becoming settlers and farmers and town planners. They were building roads and having education systems and having societal structures. It was very normal. However, Joshua observed this critical juncture in the nation of Israel. They were now settling in the land of Canaan after 25 years were more in danger of losing their faith than they were back in Egypt. So Moses observes this dynamic because he observed that they were still working as hard as they ever were, they were still toiling, they were still living busy lives. There was as much activity and 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 they were, you know, going about their daily routines and all of that stuff as there ever has been, but he's begun to see that suddenly after 25 years towards the end of his leadership life, the hearts of god's people, has started to become pulled towards the gods of the land they dwelt in. They started to dabble with worldviews of the Ammonites, the religious practices of the Moabites, the, 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 the attitudes of the Hittites, and, and some of the behaviors of, of all the other ites that lived around the Jebusites. And God's people were still busy, but their energy started to be channeled towards things that were not putting Jehovah first and not necessarily aligned with God. That's why Joshua charges them on his final weeks on the earth. He says, "'Choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve, "'whether the gods which your fathers served "'that were on the other side of the river "'or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell.'" The society which you're living in, the culture and times of the day, he said, "'Choose, but as for me and my house,' We will serve the Lord. I wonder if tonight you can see some parallels at times in different seasons, particularly through the pandemic, where we've discovered it in different different times where we might have loved God, but we've struggled with the challenge of our hearts being pulled in different directions, in directions that were not really conducive to putting Jesus on the throne of our hearts. Some of you think, thinking, well, hold on, PK. I I know I'm prone to missing church every couple of weeks and I haven't gone to connect for a couple of years. But, mate, fair income. I'm still a Christian. I still love God, right? I'm not talking about doubting your salvation or your faith. But I also feel in my own heart a connection with what Joshua is charging his people. There are times in my own life where I love God, but I found myself loving other things too. How many of you have ever been in that that place where you find yourself, I love you, God, but I also love other things too. And here, Joshua notices, that's why he says, you're you're starting to dabble and have your heart pulled and start bowing down to the gods of the land with which you dwell. You're meant to be God's people, but at times you look a little bit like the Amorites. At times you behave a little bit like the Ammonites. At times you've embraced a little bit of the attitude and the culture of the Jebusites and the Moabites. You know, today most of Australia have signed or ticked on the census I'm an atheist or an agnostic. In other words, I don't believe in any deity. I don't believe in any God. And if there was to be some kind of distant deity, we don't know what that is. And so, you know, I might be open to it, but usually, you know, I would consider myself a non-religious person. Can I suggest to you today that every single Australian believes in a God of some kind? Because a God is whomever or whatever you regularly worship, pay homage to invest your money with, focus your energies on, prioritize your life with, set your allegiance on. And I can tell you today, Australia has a lot of gods. How about the God of sport? How about the God of recreation? How about the God of caravans? How about the God of of pursuing, you know, money and better social media presence and producing better content for more followers and personal success and more comfort and personal convenience? Joshua said to the settlers of the land of Canaan, God's people, says this, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. I believe this is a prophetic message to the Australian church, that we need to once again choose for ourselves this day whom we will serve. I want to break down that phrase to you in that five little phrases of that sentence out of the original Hebrew. The first word is choose. You need to understand that you always have choice. No one holds a gun to your head about the lifestyle you choose to live. No one holds a gun to your head making you play golf three times a week. No one, no one holds a gun to your head making you binge watch Netflix. you got to own the choices that you make. It's time for the church to own the choices that you make. And God is saying to you, will you choose once again to put me on the throne of your heart? Choose. Secondly, for yourselves. Do you know that I can't choose Jesus for you? I'm going to take this off again. warm. I can't choose Jesus for you. If you're married here, husbands, I want to say this to you. Your wives can't choose Jesus for you. you got to choose for yourselves. It's time for the church to take some personal responsibility for your faith. Stop blaming, oh, the church service time doesn't suit me. Stop blaming, oh, the church music doesn't suit me. Oh, I don't like that connect group time slot. Come on, it's time for us to take some personal responsibility and choose for ourselves. This day, that Hebrew word is your own, meaning here and now. Don't say, I'll choose to be all in for God when I get married. I'll choose to be all in for God when I graduate from college. I'll choose to be all in for God when I get a full time job. See, we love to say yes to Jesus here and now as Savior, but we always say wait and see to Jesus as Lord. Why is that? Because we say yes to Jesus, the Savior, because of the benefits. But we say wait and see with lordship because there is a cost. I want to say this to somebody today. Choose for yourselves this day. Pay the price to make him lord of your life. Choose for yourselves this day whom. Whom is the object of our worship, the object of our prioritization. Sometimes we don't even realize who or what we've made into our God. Whatever or whomever occupies the primary place of your affections, that's the God you worship. And in different seasons of our lives, it's always good to ask, who has the throne of our heart? Because it is not a shared place. The throne of your heart cannot be shared. The chair that represents the throne of your heart was made only for Jesus to sit. I need somebody to say amen. Choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve wow. you will serve the word serve here doesn't mean get on a roster the word serve is a hebrew word albad say albad it means to be bound to as in a bondservant and slave to serve another or labor for and be subject to. Now that bondservantness, that that enslavement has a negative slant in our modern day language. But when you when the, the early hearers, the, the, the biblical hearers, particularly the ones that were hearing Joshua's speech, understood, choose for yourselves this day whom you will obard. It was a sense of saying, Who do you belong to? It, 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 when, when you say, I obeyed you, it says, I belong to you. I am owned by you. Some of you say, well, I'm a free person, PK. I don't serve anyone. I don't, I don't, I'm not a bond servant of anyone or anything. I'm not a slave or a bond, bond servant to anyone. I can see why you say that. But the Bible actually brings us some clarity on this. You need to realize that we are all bound to whatever it is that we deploy our time, talents, energies, focus, and priorities to. As you will see in a minute, you are bound by whoever or whatever you pledge the allegiance of your heart towards. So, right, you need to understand that technically, by biblical terms, we're all slaves to something. We just don't realize it. You're going, hold on, PK. If, if we're slaves to something, then doesn't that contradict the truth that Jesus came to set us free? It doesn't contradict it. This is the genius of Paul. He explains it all. Come with me, Romans 6, 16. Y'all still there? He says, don't you know that when you offer, he's speaking to the Christians in Rome, that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey or come under. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So you're still a slave. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've now come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. Here's that word. You have been set free from sin. Does it say there full stop? No. It says, you've been set free from sin and also have become slaves to righteousness, We're all a slave of someone or something. And I don't know about you, but it's time for the church to obey Jesus again. That we belong to you, Jesus. I'm a bond servant. I'm bound to you. True freedom is being found in and bound to a life in Christ. I need a resounding amen from somebody. It's time for the church to reawaken again who they choose. I can tell you now in the 21st century Western church, our greatest curse is that we have so much choice. We have so much choice. And that's why there is this prophetic cry again through the Spirit of God for the church to choose for yourselves this day whom. You will serve, and my prayer that Nations Church reply will be Joshua's reply. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Someone say amen. So at the end of Joshua's leadership here, as he addresses the the Israelites, he tells them to choose again rightly who they should be serving. They should be serving Jehovah and Jehovah alone. But he observed that these settlers, this next generation of young adults, under 25-year-olds born into promise, had begun to enculturate and embrace and integrate the Moabites and the Jebusites and the gods of the other side of the river and so on and so forth. And he begins to call them to choose again this complete surrender to Jehovah. What he was asking them to do, a call, he was calling them to do was calling them ultimately to repentance. Can I go a little deeper with you? Repentance is a dirty word in church today, but it shouldn't be. It is a beautiful word because the word repentance in the Greek is metanoia, to change metanoia, your thinking. It simply means turning away from something in order to turn towards another, to change your heart and mind about something and turn towards something else, to choose one thing at the uh, you know, instead of another. It's, it's like this. I was living like this. I was devoted my, to, to this thing and, and I was thinking like this. But today I metanoia. I changed my choosing towards the one that should be the only person that I should be choosing. Some of you are thinking, oh wow, I thought that repentance was just for like the sinners, for that like, the really bad people. I want to give you some theological clarity. When I was on holidays about a month ago, I began to ponder, I'm turning 48 this year, I began to talk to God about the outpourings and the moves of God that that we've seen, certainly in my own lifetime, and and, and just even the last couple of weeks, I began to just think about the the, the outpourings in the Western church that have so profoundly impacted me, and I remember the most recent memory for me, or the earliest memory, rather, uh, was in the early 90s, where God totally broke out in a big city in Canada called Toronto. It was, I was only a young adult at the time, but I was seeing footage of, at the time, it was mind-blowing what I was seeing. There was these men in suits and women with hats on and dressed in their Sunday best. And they were rolling around laughing at altars. And it was messy and it was breaking out. I believe that God was doing that at the time because He was shaking religion out of the church. And it spread like wildfire, what we call the Toronto blessing or the outpouring, spread like wildfire right across the world. Churches were shook out of their religiosity. And about four years later, there was another subsequent outpouring in south of the border in a state of Florida in the U.S. in a city called Pensacola. That had a completely different manifestation altogether. With that, we saw footage of of. Thousands of people giving their lives to Jesus, completely unsaved. We saw gang members putting their colors down at the altar, giving their life to Jesus. We saw prostitutes coming in, giving their lives to Jesus. We saw criminals putting their knives and guns down at the altar, giving their lives to Jesus. They estimate about 200,000 people gave their lives to Jesus through the Pensacola Revival, which spread across right across the globe. It was this revival of, of the church. Not looking insular anymore, but now looking outwardly, having a passion for lost sound. Just a few months ago, we, just a, a couple of months ago, we saw a brand new outbreak that was completely different to everything we've seen. Its epicenter was in a little town called Asbury in Kentucky. It spread across multiple campuses, college campuses, young adults were leading the way. And we, it, we begin to see pockets now of that similar sort of thing burning across Europe, burning across South America, all across North America. We're seeing God do a very similar thing. And it wasn't people laughing anymore and, and shaking religiosity. It wasn't thousands of people giving their life to Jesus. This new move of God was Christians repenting. We're seeing young adults repenting of apathy and addiction. And it's like God is saying, I'm asking you again to choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Because he's not coming back for a diluted bride. He's coming back for a bride who's choosing to metanoia, turn away from where they've had their hearts pulled towards that weren't conducive to having Jesus on the throne of your heart to who God really is. Jesus is saying this to the church, will you choose me again? Will you O'Bard me again? Because I'm sick of seeing you O'Bard to the God of TikTok. I'm sick of seeing you O'Bard to the God of Netflix. Sick of seeing you O'Bard to the God of worldly philosophies and diluting yourself with Instagram. And none of these things are bad. But I tell you what, there is only room for one God in the throne of your life. It's time for the church to reawaken again. (laughs) Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Repentance has a dirty word in church because you know why? In years gone by, we've always paired it with condemnation. How wrong are we? The Bible only ever says that it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. His kindness, grace, and mercy should ruin you for all else. Joshua prophetically spoke to a whole generation, diluting their affections, and says to them, why would you want to dabble with the gods of the Amorites? Why would you want to dabble with the gods of the land you dwell in when Jehovah is so good? Why would you want to ruin the goodness of God in your life by having your heart pulled? Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Is this helpful to you guys. I'm bringing this to a landing. Some of you are thinking, so, so what's the big deal? Okay, okay, so, all right, all right. This sermon is about you wanting me to be really full on for God. That's really what it is, isn't it? <laughs> this is what I want to get across to you. This is, this is profound application for your life. Because whom or what you choose to serve will be all you're going to have to help you when you're in the fire. Whatever you spend your life or lifestyle all bowing down to, being a bond servant of, being an enslaved to, will be all that you're going to have when you're actually in the fire. The book of Daniel chapter 3 accounts for a different era in the life of the nation of Israel. They are not. Or many, many centuries later, not in the Egyptian era, but now they're under the Babylonian era. What happened in that particular time in Israel's history was that once again, history has repeated itself. They've, they've been disobedient to God, and so the, God has allowed the Babylonians this time to capture them right? Babylon is different than the Egyptians. Egyptians used the Israelites as slave labor. The Babylonians wanted to enculturate them, sort of seep into their worldviews, their thinking, making them speak the language, making them bow down and worship their idols, making them intermarry, all of those sorts of things, using their their, their intelligence, their intellectual property to further enhance the Babylonian kingdom. Babylon at the time was led by an egotistical leader called Nebuchadnezzar. And some of his, his advisors appealed to his ego by saying, Nebuchadnezzar, why don't you build a golden statue? Make everyone bow, including all your conquested nations and if they don't bow down burn them I can tell you now lots of people quickly switch religions that day how many of you know when the heat comes hmm. Hmm, that's a whole different sermon altogether heat's coming heat's coming except for these three Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they were Jewish boys they worked for the Babylonian government hmm, that's a whole sermon all you can work in the world, but not be of it. They were part of the administration of the Babylonian government. People ratted on them. These three Jewish boys, Nebuchadnezzar, they won't bow to your idol. He was so incensed. Daniel 3.16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. After the king said, if you don't, I'm going to burn you. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the burning furnace, the God we obey, hmm. The God we serve. Is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not, O Bard, serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have. Oh, man, if only we could have some Christians that would stand up in the workplace like that. At this reply, the king was enraged, and he ordered his guards to throw them into the fire. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? the answer to the king, true, O king. Verse 25, this will change your life. Look, he answered, I see four men men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Whom or what you choose to serve will be all you've got to help you when you're in the fire. What are you spending your days bowing down to? Because that's going to be all that you've got to lean on when you're in the fire. Can I get real with you tonight? Not that I haven't gotten real with you. I'm not even asking for permission. I'm really asking for forgiveness. But you need to understand. When you're walking through the fire, and many of you, if not all of you will, I would love to say to you as your leader, you know when you give your life to Jesus, from then on it's all just going to be hunky-dory. You're just going to coast through life. It's going to be amazing. No. You're going to walk through the fire. I promise you. When you start, see, the great litmus test as to where or whom has your heart will not be revealed in the good times. It will be revealed when you get a life-altering event, when there's a crisis in the family, when your health hits the wall, when your life is threatening to unravel financially or relationally. That's when you realize those four years of Sunday cricket is not going to help your son when he's addicted to drugs. That's when you start to realize that new caravan is not going to help you when your marriage is on the rocks. That's when you start to realize that the new kitchen and that new car is not going to help you when the cancer diagnosis comes. I want to be part of a church that is found when the fire comes to have Jesus exposed as where my heart has been bowing down to. The reason why we keep saying, oh, we've got so many spiritual attacks. This is a season where lots of people are getting attacked. no. You're just getting burnt because Jesus is not in your fire. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Say back, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Say back, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 2023 is not the kind of year to wait and see who you're going to, oh, bard. I'll wait and see where I just, you know, go a little bit deeper. 2023 is reawakening the lordship of Jesus in every man, woman, and child that calls nation's church home. I refuse to lead a lukewarm church. I refuse. My heart is that every single person that calls Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior in this day, in this hour, as part of our church, makes a decision today. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com.